as always. You can be seated. You know, God loves an underdog, and we love an underdog, right? We love, like, when the Eagles beat the Patriots and when Rocky gets a knockout, and we love when America defeated the British. We just love a good underdog story. And I think part of the reason we know God loves underdogs is because there's so many of them recorded in Scripture. There's so many remarkable stories of faith. And that's what we've been looking at over the last couple weeks is steps of faith and remarkable steps of faith by ordinary people in the Old Testament. And I I think that um, one of the phrases we use when we talk about steps of faith or when we talk about underdogs is a David versus Goliath situation. Right? We've all heard this when we are rooting for the underdog to overcome the people who have more resources or more power or more talent. We say it's a David versus Goliath story. And when David overcomes, we get real excited. And that's what we're going to be talking about tonight is David and Goliath and some application for us today as we face giants and take steps of faith. Now, we're probably not going to face literal giants in our life, right? There's sometimes in the Bible where it's literally talking about huge, colossal, physically imposing people. Like when David fights Goliath, it says that he was about nine and a half feet tall. So this guy was massive. He was huge. But a lot of times the giants that the Bible talks about are metaphysical giants, right? They're giants like... Um, We get a bad health report, or we have a bill we can't pay, or we have a conflict, or an addiction, or a disease, or uh, we have a relationship that's falling apart. Those are the giants that we face most of the time, and I think the application still applies to these giants just like it would to a physical giant. When it comes to facing giants in our lives, there's two ways to respond. And we've talked about this all through our series, right? When you face a situation or a crisis, you can either respond with fear or with faith. If you respond with fear to a giant, it keeps the status quo. You don't do anything to change it. And we'll see some people in a story here in a minute who respond with fear and things stay the same. But if you respond with faith, that's when everything changes and giants in your life begin to fall. I think a lot of times what we hope for and what we pray for is for the giants, the things in our life that we're like, oh, this is a mess. I wish I could do something about this. We just kind of hope that they go away naturally, and we just kind of respond with fear and expect things to just change and happen. But not surprisingly, things will stay the same if we keep doing the same thing. A step of faith is doing something different. It's stepping out on faith and taking a risk Uh, for God that's going to actually kill our giant and change the status quo. So I believe that steps of faith make the world a better place. You say, Alex, you've been talking about steps of faith for the last couple weeks. Why are you going on and on and on? Why is this series so long? Why can't we move on to something else? It's because steps of faith are important, and I believe that it makes the world a better place when the people of God take steps of faith, and I think it makes us better people when we take steps of faith. You're the most like Jesus, not when you're taking steps of fear, but when you're taking steps of faith. And I believe that the reason many of us still have these giants in our life, whether it's addiction or, uh, you know, these conflicts and different situations in our lives is because we haven't taken steps of faith. And giants only fall when you take a step of faith. Now, you have a step of faith to take that might be different than mine. Your step of faith is your giant to slay. You're probably facing different giants than I am. And so you might say, Alex, okay, we've talked about steps of faith for the last couple of weeks. How do I know what my step of faith is? And uh, I'll share with you a little bit about one of the steps of faith in my life and how I came to figure out what it was. I ended up at this Christian conference in Dallas 
a couple years ago, and I met this church planter. He was church planting in San Francisco. His name was Ben Pilgrim, and uh, I was just chatting with him, and he said this question to me. It was a life-changing question, and it really helped me hone in on what my step of faith was. Here's what he asked me. What would you do if you had no fear? See, most of the time, our step of faith is the opposite of what we're afraid of. What we're afraid of keeps us from taking our step of faith. And so when he asked me, he said, what would you do if you had no fear? Now, he wasn't talking about jumping off the Hoover Dam or skydiving or something. He's like, what would you do in your life to make the world a better place, to follow the path of God, to help someone else in need? What would you do if you had no fear? Without, without hesitation, I said, I'd plant or I'd start a church in the Northeast. And it was one of those things, like, once I said it out loud, I knew I couldn't take it back anymore. You know, it was out there. People had heard it. And I knew that this is what I had to do. But this is a question for you as well. What would you do if you had no fear? We're going to look at uh, different groups of people as they face Goliath here. And some of them, all they could think about was their fear. And they couldn't imagine a scenario where they didn't respond in fear, but responded in faith. What would you do if you had no fear? Who would you talk to? What organization would you start? You know, who would you reach out to? Who would you help? Where would you go if you had no fear? And so as we think about what our step of faith are, there's some parameters we can look at, right? Because some people would say, well, if I had no fear, I'd rob a bank and be rich. And that's not the type of step of faith that God's going to encourage or support, right? Um, so what kind of questions should you be asking as you look at the, these parameters for what makes a step of faith that God's going to honor and support? Uh, first of all, what need do you see that other people have, but other people are afraid to meet? Right? That's what David, in just a minute as we get to the story, he saw this situation where everybody else was afraid to meet the need. There was a clear situation where someone needed to do something, and no one else seemed to want to do anything about it, or they didn't have the courage to do anything about it. That might be your step of faith. You also need to ask, does this step of faith glorify God, or does it just bring glory to myself? See, I think a lot of times when people think of steps of faith, they're like, how can I step out and get attention for myself? David wasn't interested in getting attention for himself. He was interested, as we'll look at in the story, for uh, getting glory for God. And think about where you've been uniquely placed. Remember, we talked about this as we talked about the will of God. It's not by accident that you live where you live and you work with the people that you work and you're on the same street with the people that you are. You've been strategically placed for a spiritual purpose. And so think about where your step of faith, where you are geographically, where you are spiritually, who you're in relationships with, what glorify God, and what is a need that other people are afraid to meet. Now we're going to look at this story, and then we're going to pull out some things, some application we can make as we face giants and as we fell giants with our step of faith. So we're going to be in 1 Samuel 17, and I would love to read the whole chapter. But it's a super, super long story of David and Goliath, almost 60 verses. And so we're just going to pull out a few elements here. So, backstory, the Philistines, this nation that believes in many gods, uh, who are brutal, ruthless people, come and attack Israel, the nation where God says, one day I'm going to send a Messiah to you, and they're trying to wipe out Israel. And so Israel's king Saul brings his forces to a mountain, and the Philistines set up on another mountain, and there's a valley in between, and for 40 days they just look at each other. And then neither one attacks. They're like equally matched, so neither one wants to attack each other lest they lose the battle. And so they're at a stalemate, and this giant walks down from the Philistine camp every day and says, you know how we should settle this? One-on-one -on -one battle. 
you pick your best guy, and I'm the best guy. The Philistines will go one-on-one. -on -one. Whoever wins, wins the battle. There doesn't have to be a whole bunch of lots of life. We'll become your slaves, or you'll become our slaves. And no one comes out to challenge him, and neither do the big armies fight each other. And so they're just at this stalemate, and each day he comes out and says the same thing. So in the midst of this, David has older brothers who are down fighting in the army, and his father sends him down to check on them. And so he gets down there in verse 23. And he says, while he was speaking with them, suddenly the champion named Goliath, the Philistine from Gath, came forward from the Philistine battle line and shouted his usual words, which David heard. And when all the Israelite men saw Goliath, they retreated from him terrified. Then look down at verse 28, and we'll pick up the story again. David's oldest brother, Elab, listened as David spoke to the men, and he became angry with him. And he says, why did you come down here? Why did you leave those few sheep you watch in the wilderness? I know your arrogance and your evil heart. You came down to see the battle. What have I done now, protested David. It was just a question. And then he turned from those beside him to others in front of him and asked about the offer, and the people gave him the same answer as before. And what David said was overheard and reported to King Saul. So he had David brought to him, and David said to Saul, Don't let anyone be discouraged by this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. But Saul replied, you can't go fight this Philistine. You're just a youth. He's been a warrior since he was young. And David answered Saul, your servant has been tending his father's sheep. And whenever a lion or a bear came and carried off a lamb from the flock, I went after it. I struck it down and rescued the lamb from its mouth. If it reared up against me, I would grab it by its fur, strike it down, and kill it. Wouldn't that be a great, like, first date? You know, you ask somebody, you're sitting across them at a table having coffee. They're like, so tell me something about yourself. I've grabbed a bear by the fur and killed it. You know, that I just feel like that would be a really interesting first statement. Anyways, no, not the rest of you. The rest of you would just be disturbed and run out. Um, okay, so verse 36. Your servant has killed lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And then David said, The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go and may the Lord be with you. And then Saul had his own military clothes put on David, and he put a bronze helmet on David's head and had him put on armor. And David strapped his sword on over the military clothes and tried to walk, but he was not used to them. He said, I can't walk in these. I'm not used to them. And so David took them off. Instead, he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the wadi and put them in the palace in his shepherd's bag. And then with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine came closer and closer, and I imagine... Closer and closer and closer. You know, you can almost hear the shark music as David's standing there and this huge nine, almost ten foot tall guys come in. You know, like, da 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 yeah, Okay, that's just what I read in the scripture when I read it. Uh, I guess you guys don't. That's okay. And so, verse 41, let's skip down to verse 45. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the ranks of Israel. You have defied him. Today the Lord will, will hand you over to me. Today I will strike you down, remove your head, and give the corpse of the Philistine camp to the birds of the sky and the wild creatures of the earth. Then all the world will know that Israel has a God. And this whole assembly will know it is not by sword nor by spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's. He will hand you over to us. When the Philistines started forward to attack him, David ran quickly to the battle line to meet the Philistines. David put his hand in the bag, took out a stone, slung it, and hit the Philistine in his forehead. The stone sunk into his forehead, and he fell face down to the ground. 
David defeated the Philistine with a sling and a stone. David overpowered the Philistine and killed him without having a sword. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Lord, thank you for the story of David. And God, I pray that you would give us the same confidence of David, that if we have a God who is with us and for us, we can take a step of faith. We can fell giants because you are with us. You are powerful. You watch over us and you protect us. God, give us the confidence to change our world by taking steps of faith in our everyday life. Amen. So I want to pull out some applications here about killing giants by taking steps of faith in our life. And the first thing I want to notice is if you look back in verse 28, people will discourage you if you try to take a step of faith. Right? Because when you take a step of faith, it's confronting their complacency. Most people take steps of fear every day, every week, every month, and steps of fear keep the status quo. If you start shaking things up by saying, hey, I'm going to take a step of faith, there's going to be people who say, don't do that. That makes them feel bad about the steps of fear that they've been taking, and it makes them scared of change. Sometimes we're much happier staying with something that's bad than making a change that's actually good. Almost a year ago now, Darby and I moved out of the apartment we were at, and it was a horrible apartment. It was this narrow little apartment on the second floor above a shop along Lancaster Avenue. Uh, there was no trash pickup, so I had to go and haul my trash to a trash dump, and it was like the landlady would never come over and fix things when things were broken, and it was just a horrible place. And Darby was like, let's move to this place. It's cheaper, it's nicer, it's more space, you know, we've got a little yard. And I was like, no, I hate change. Like, let's just stay in this place that's bad because I know it and I'm familiar with it. And we all do this where we're scared to take a step of faith because it means a change. But it's always a change for the better ultimately because giants fall when we take steps of faith. But there will be people in your life who love you, who care about you. And when you say, I think God wants me to do whatever, and they're like, don't do that. Don't do that. That makes me nervous. Don't do that. Just keep doing what you're doing. Don't shake up the status quo. And you see that here with David's older brother. David comes here, his older brother is in the army, and David's like, I'm going to go fight that Philistine. And he's like, you're a kid. I'm a soldier. If anybody's going to fight him, I'm going to fight him. But I'm not going to fight him because it's really scary to go face him. So just nobody fight him, you know? Um, and there will be people in your life. There have been people in my life when I say, hey, I think I'm called to preach and pastor. And there were people in my life who said, no, I think you got that wrong. I think you're crazy. That's a bad fit for you. And then when I said, hey, I want to go start a church, there were people like, that's awesome. You should do that. And then there were some people like, that's going to be risky. You don't have any guaranteed salary. You know, you don't know if things are going to work out. You're going to be in a new place. And there's always going to be those people because they're scared to take steps of faith who will try to discourage you from taking steps of faith. If you look even in verse 32, when he encounters the king, and honestly, if anybody should have been out there taking the step of faith, it was the king who should have been out there standing up for Israel and for God. But he says, you can't go fight this Philistine. You're just a kid. And he's been a warrior since he was a kid. And so even the king is telling him, don't do this. So these are people who know him well, people who are in authority, people that he respects. And they're saying, don't take a step of faith. And so sometimes you have to look at some of the advice you get and say, hey, is God clearly telling me to do this? Then sometimes I have to still do it even if the people around me are telling me it's crazy. A step of faith doesn't make sense unless there's an invisible God working behind the scenes. And I think a lot of times people who love us and want to protect us, they don't want us to ever do anything risky lest we fail. Sometimes it's worth a step of faith even if we fail. 
there's something that happens in humanity, and I was reading about it in a psychological journey, uh, journal, where at a certain point in your life, and it's different for everyone, you begin to act more out of memory than out of imagination. And I think the more steps of fear you take, the more likely you are to act out of memory rather than imagination. The more steps of faith you take, the more likely you are to act out of imagination. This is why you meet some people, and even though they're older, they seem really, really young, they're still acting out of imagination. They're still dreaming and hoping and believing that they can change things and take steps of faith. But sometimes you'll meet people, even if they're really young, who have already kind of given up. They're like, it's just a status quo. You can't change anything. Just give up and give in. And they're starting to act out of memory. So when you take steps of fear, every time you do that, you're closer and closer to getting to a point where you tend to think out of memory to just keep the status quo rather than to thinking out of imagination, dreaming about what could be and what will be. But not only will people try to encourage you, your step of faith, if you take it, will encourage other people. Look down at verse 33 again. In the second uh, part of the verse, um, so I'm sorry, verse 32, it says, don't let anyone be discouraged by him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. Anytime there is a giant, there is a crisis, there is something that requires a step of faith, people are going to be discouraged until someone makes that step of faith. At the same time, people want to see someone actually living out a Christianity that reflects what they say they believe. You know, it's real easy to say, I believe that there is this invisible God, and his name's Jesus, and he came to the earth, and he died for us, and he rose again, and we can have a relationship with him, and he is empowering us through the Holy Spirit to share with other people and to change the world for the better. But, you know, all that words means nothing if they don't actually see us taking a step of faith. They want to see, do you really believe that? If you really believe that, let me see you do something that doesn't make sense unless there is a God. It's easy to say you believe in God when you don't have to actually risk anything. Right? The old pastor example pastors used to use all the time is, you can say you believe the bridge will hold you, but until you actually walk across the bridge, you really don't trust it. Right? And I remember a couple times I was hiking out in these trails way out in the middle of nowhere, Tennessee, and you know people haven't been keeping up with them very much, and it's this old rickety rope bridge, and I think, I wonder how long it's been since somebody's been across this old bridge, you know, and some of the boards are broken out, and I'm like, it'll probably hold, but it's not until I'm actually out on it that I'm like, hey, I'm really going to see whether or not it's going to hold me. It's easy for me to stand on one side and say, that'll support me, but people want to see us living actual, real-life steps of faith. It will encourage other people to take steps of faith, and it will encourage people who don't believe in God that what we say might actually be real. And then you see here what David did when he went to face this situation. He reminded himself and others about the other times that God has come through for him when he's taking steps of faith. One of the best things we need to do in our life is to keep track of the time that God does something miraculous, something impressive, when God answers a prayer or comes through for us. You know, my tendency is to forget how good God is and forget the specifics of what he did. Uh, I keep a written journal. I also sometimes tweet out things. And sometimes I just go back and I look over things I said a year ago. And I'm like, I forgot all about that situation where God came through and God answered that prayer. And God paid this bill. God made this conversation happen. God took care of this situation. God empowered me to take this step of faith. We have a tendency to forget unless we're intentional about remembering. If we're not intentional about remembering how God has 
uh, empowered our steps of faith in the past, we'll be fearful about taking steps of faith in the future. You look here, David's like, you know what? I killed lions and I killed bears. Giants are kind of the next progression. You know, he's like, I started out killing small things, got a little bit bigger, a little bit tougher. Giants are next. He's like, I've killed those things. It'll probably be good. You know, that's the next step in the line of things. I'm cool with that. And he reminded himself that God had been with him in the past and God will be with him in the future. See, conflict, nobody enjoys conflict, whether that's a, a crisis or a relationship situation. But conflict builds our capacity for future steps of faith. Like the thing you're going through right now that you hate so much might just be an opportunity where God is building your capacity for faith so that you can take a step of faith in the future, which will slay a giant and change the world. So not only should we remember our past victories, look down at verse 37. We should also remember that steps of faith glorify God. And this is where David said, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said, go and may God go with you. If you do something remarkable that has no explanation except for God, it's going to glorify God because people will know you couldn't have done it without him. See, many times we like to do steps of convenience or steps of comfort. We don't like to do steps of faith because steps of faith require a God who we can't see coming through for us. And ultimately, God gets glorified when we take steps of faith. Remember what Hebrews 11.6 said? It says, it's impossible to please God without faith. Isn't that interesting? That means every time we take a step of fear, God's not pleased. But every time we take a step of faith, it pleases him. There's certain things that I love to eat. Like, I, I love pizza and cheesesteaks, and I love um, pies and cookies and donuts. All these unhealthy things what I love. What I don't love is kale. I hate kale. Does anybody like kale? Nobody likes it. Oh, you like it? Okay. Almost nobody likes it, but you eat it because it's good for you, right? Well, God likes faith. That's what he likes. That's what he enjoys. Just like you have certain things you enjoy that I don't. Some people love roller coasters. I don't like roller coasters. Why would I force myself to be afraid? Like, I don't want that. But some people do. God loves faith. He loves when we act like we believe that he's actually there. And so it glorifies him when we take steps of faith. And so if you decide to take a step in your faith, a uh, step of faith in your life, you're going to have some people come around you and they're like, well, let me help you. I'm going to show you what you should do. You should just follow exactly in my footsteps and do exactly what I do. And that's what Saul does here in verse 39. Saul didn't have the courage to go out and face the giant, but he's like, if you're going to face him, you should use my equipment. You know, you should use my stuff. Let me help you face the giant, even though I've never faced a giant and I'm too scared to face this one. It's amazing how many people who don't have the courage to take a step of faith will try to come alongside you and tell you how to take your step of faith, what you should or shouldn't do. And uh, what's another tragedy I think that happens a lot of times is when we take a step of faith, we look at someone else who took a step of faith and we think God's going to work exactly like that with me. And we begin to model them and we begin to copy them. And anytime you begin to copy, you kill creativity, right? God wants to do something unique through you. I remember in seminary, one of our seminary professors always wore a three-piece suit. I mean, he was really dapper. He always had the three-piece suit and the little, uh, you know, 
cloth that went in his pocket. I don't even know what that's called. And uh, so people in his seminary class, in his preaching class, started dressing like him. And so when they would get up and preach, they'd wear a three-piece suit, and they'd have a little handkerchief in there, you know, that would match their tie, and they would look really sharp. And they'd be giving copies some of his mannerisms, you know? And they'd get up, and I'm like, you're just like the professor. You're just copying him. You're not being yourself. And I remember we had this uh, other professor, and every time he preached a sermon, he would always use a, um, a uh, acronym. Is that right? Like NASA? Isn't that an acronym? And so he would always be like faith. And he's like forgiving, atonement, you know, and he just put up words, you know, in every sermon was some acronym. And so there were people in his class who started like every time they would preach, they would just use an acronym like that. And I'm like, be yourself. You don't have to copy other people. You can be your own person. And I think sometimes when we take steps of faith, we're so afraid to be out there without any support to be doing this thing where God has to come through for us. We start thinking, who can I copy so that I can feel more secure? They turned out okay. Maybe I can do it just like them and it'll be okay. God always tells original stories. God never tells the same story twice. C.S. Lewis said, and I love this line, God never sends the same wave twice. Every wave is an original. And every person, every step of faith is just as unique as the person taking it. You know, a few months ago, Billy Graham died. And somebody asked me, who's going to be the next Billy Graham? There's never going to be another Billy Graham. God doesn't want another Billy Graham. There's going to be somebody new doing something new in a new way. Because God doesn't tell the same story twice. And so as you take a step of faith, there will be people who say, you know what, you should just copy what I did. God's got an original story to tell with you. And then if you look down at verse 40, David here doesn't immediately get to go out and face the giant. One of the worst things about taking a step of faith is there's a point when you decide to take a step of faith, and then there's usually a gap before you get to do it, right? I was back in Tennessee, and I decided I'm going to plant a church in the Northeast. Well, it was three more years of finishing seminary before I actually moved to Philadelphia. So what do you do in the time when you wait? Because that's the time when a lot of us give up. We decide, I want to take a step of faith. And then there's a period of waiting, and we begin to worry, right? That naturally happens when we're in a period of waiting. We begin to worry. So what do you do? Work is the best prevention for work. I remember that uh, I had this old farmer in Tennessee, and he used to always tell me, Anytime I shared with him I was worried or stressed about something, he'd say, Alex, worry is like a rocking chair. You put in a lot of energy, but you don't go anywhere. And so he'd always say, get out of the rocking chair and do something. And usually, if we spend time when we're waiting, preparing, it helps us not worry, but actually be ready for a step of faith when the opportunity comes. And that's exactly what David did. David could have been sitting around and being like, okay, Stay excited. you got to fight this giant in an hour. But instead, he's like, he went down and he's like, let me find the perfect stone. Let's pick out the right stone. You know, he's, he's preparing himself for the battle. He's doing everything he can so that he's ready when the battle comes. And then I mentioned this line before in verse 41. The Philistine came closer and closer to David. I just love the way that verse is written because you can see that, right? You're David standing there and this giant's getting closer closer and each with each step he gets bigger and bigger and more intimidating and more frightening the closer you get to your step of faith the more scary it's going to be because the closer you come to actually pulling the trigger to making the leap 
the bigger and scarier that giant is going to seem. Giants always seem huge right before they fall. That's always the time they're going to be scariest. That's always the time the step of faith is going to seem hardest. But that's the time when giants fall. When they're closest, when they seem biggest, that's the time when you take your step of faith and everything changes. And ultimately, look at what happens in verse 46, what David says. He says, today the Lord will hand you over to me. Today I'll strike you down and remove your head and give your corpses of the Philistine camp to the birds of the sky, the wild creatures of the earth. And why will he do all this? Then all the world will know that Israel has a God, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will hand you over to us. Ultimately, God uses ordinary people taking steps of faith to kill giants, to break addictions, to overcome crises, because it reveals to the world that there is a God. God uses ordinary people like you and me taking steps of faith, which slay giants, which change the world, because it makes people in the world curious. God uses ordinary people to make people far away from God curious about the existence of God. When a giant falls because a boy took a step of faith, people are like, this doesn't make sense unless there is some invisible, holy, powerful being at work behind the scenes. And you'll see here the last thing that David does is uh, in verse 48. When the Philistines started forward to attack, David ran quickly to the battle line to meet the Philistines. If you're like me, I have a tendency when I'm like, oh, look, that step of faith is coming up. I've got to face that giant soon. Let's retreat. And, you know, like I'll keep backing off. And that gives me a little bit more time till the giant gets here. You know, and many times I try to avoid the giants rather than facing the giants. One of the best uh, pieces of leadership advice I ever received was uh, somebody told me early on when I started to pastor, they said, whenever there's a problem or there's an issue, release the 800-pound gorilla into the room. The, and the, the picture that essentially what they're going for is the problem or issue is this caged-up gorilla. And our issue, our tendency is to try to avoid it. You know, and like, well, as long as it's in the cage, I don't have to deal with it. And it's starting to break out of the cage. And the advice was, just go over there, open the cage, deal with it. Don't avoid it. Because when you avoid a giant, what happens? It tends to sneak up on you when you least expect it. When you face it head on, when you run towards it, when you charge it and you say, let's take this step of faith, let's not try to find a way out of it or a way to avoid it, but let's do this thing and get it taken care of, that's when giants fall. And so the question we have to ask ourselves today is, what is your giant? What is the, the situation where you've been uniquely placed, the crisis that you're facing, the addiction that you have, the thing that you think, this is just a status quo. It's not right. I don't like it. It's something that's in the community or something in my family or something that's in me. I don't like it, but that's just the status quo. It's not the status quo. It doesn't have to be the status quo. A step of faith can fill that giant. So what is your giant? That's the first thing you have to think about. What's the thing where you're like, this needs to change? I've been okay with it. I've been trying to get by with it, but it needs to change. What's your giant? And then secondly, the question you have to look at is, how can I prepare? Because most of you won't be able to take a step of faith in the next hour to slay that giant. It's something that you're going to have to start being intentional about and figure out what are we going to do to fix this, to change this? What is our step of faith? In the meantime, how can you prepare? How can you, like David, gather those stones and say, how can I be ready when the opportunity comes to slay this giant? And then finally, what does this step of faith look like that's going to kill this giant? What do you need to do, trusting God, stepping out, what needs to happen for this giant to fall? 
Giants won't fall when we just keep doing the same thing we've always done. It always cracks me up when uh, I'll talk to somebody and they're like, hey, I've got this issue. Maybe it's, you know, I spend my money crazy and I'm like, well, have you thought about having a budget? They're like, well, I'm just hoping that I'll just naturally stop spending money. You know, things aren't going to change until you're intentional about doing something different. Take a step of faith. It'll kill it. So today, as you leave, we have a basket over here next to our peach basket. It has stones in it. I just want you to take a stone with you as you go. Put it on your desk. You know, put it on a shelf. Just as a reminder, giants fall. The status quo doesn't have to stay the status quo. A step of faith can change everything. You're one decision away from a radically different life. One step of faith away from a dead giant. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for the example of David. And God, I pray that you'll make us fearless people. People who don't just say, well, that's unfortunate and I wish that wasn't the case, but there's nothing I can do about it. With you, we can slay giants. God, forgive us for so often looking at what we can do instead of looking at what we can do with you. And God, I pray that you will change our community, change our neighborhoods, change our lives as we take steps of faith because we know you're a God who's with us and for us. You're a God who has helped us conquer lions and bears in our past, and you're a God who's going to help us conquer giants in the future. And I pray all these things like I believe Jesus Christ would. Amen.